first time the NFL is playing a Friday night game in week one, I believe, since 1970. 50 years ago, last time they played a Friday night home or a Friday night game to open up the week. Unreal. So that would mean if it's the Browns, you get whoever the opening week matchup is. It'll be the Chiefs and somebody uh, on Thursday night. And you get the Browns on Friday night to start off your, your weekend of football. That's problematic, man. High school football is a big deal around here. Truly, nothing is beyond reproach for the NFL. The nerve of the NFL to snipe high school Friday night football from everybody in Cleveland, in Northeast Ohio, and I guess the Philly area too, if they put the, if by putting this game on a Friday night during the peak, very early stages of high school football. That is just mm, evil, evil behavior right there. Can't believe they would do that. But it's the NFL, so they'll do anything for a buck. Here's a uh, shorter version. Peter King on the potential for the Browns to meet the Eagles on that, for this international game in Brazil on September 6th. And I think the NFL is going to say at the end of the day, all things considered, Cleveland's the best candidate to play the Eagles in a huge marquee game, the first game ever played in South America by NFL teams uh, in the history of the league. That was uh, Peter King on Afternoon Drive earlier today. He did all the math that I think we all did. It, it was funny. He, he came on... And he, like, had this very long-winded answer as to why the Browns make the most sense. And there's nine home games this year for the Eagles. And the Panthers already have uh, an international game. The Jaguars already have an international game. So that only leaves three teams. And the three teams are the Steelers. And they're not going to do a divisional game. So it's not going to be the Cowboys or the the Giants. And so that only leaves three teams, and it's either the the Browns or the Steelers or uh, I forget what the other team is, the Falcons. And he was like, I don't think they're just going to be the Steelers because the Steelers and Eagles is a big deal for the you know Battle of Pennsylvania. And the, the, the Falcons aren't big enough of a team in terms of notoriety where the Browns made the playoffs last year. That could be a better game for the, the Brazilian folks, our Brazilian NFL fans down there. So, like, we all did that math. We've been doing that math for a couple weeks since they announced that there was going to be a game in Brazil and the Eagles are the team that's going to host it and the Browns are on the Eagles' schedule. So, like, it was just funny. We we all – he basically made us all feel like we were insiders because we were all doing the – the uh, what Ken Karma would call the fat lock investigation into how the Browns get there. It was Charlie from uh, – Always sunny in Philadelphia with all the yarn connecting the, the things on the on the, the cork board and the conspiracy theories like this is how the Browns end up against the Eagles on the first Friday of the season in, in Brazil because this team's here here and this team's there. That's what we were doing. We all connected those dots. It was just funny to hear uh, Peter King explain it so eloquently on afternoon drive. My bigger question for you, though. Do we actually care about international games? Like, do you get a thrill out of the idea of your team playing internationally? Because I'm going to be honest, guys, the international games, from from a standpoint of just being an, an, an American NFL fan, born and raised on NFL football, my Sundays are dedicated to football. I, 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 I get why they're doing the international games, but... Those games are strictly about one thing and one thing only. 
They're about the NFL's bottom line. They're about the, the mighty dollar that the NFL is trying to find other places than just in the U.S. So they branch out. They go to London three times a year. They go to Mexico City every now and then. They go to Germany now. They go to, they're going to Brazil now for the first time. But it really is all just about the mighty dollar. And it has no, it, like it's in no, in, in no way are these international games made or created at the consideration of the fans in the cities that those teams actually represent. Like I know the ultimate goal is everybody plays an international game once a year. Something like that, whatever whatever the hell the plan is. But, like, the international games to me, they they throw off my usual Sunday routine where I can, you know, I, I mean, usually I'm here on Sunday, so I guess I can't say I'm going to sleep in. But I got to set my fantasy lineup sooner. I got to be here and have the game on and be paying attention to that while I'm getting ready for Brown's kickoff every week and sorting through who's going to play and who's not going to play. I got to be paying attention to this other game that's going on. I like the the schedule stinks. It's not those of you who don't have to work in radio and be here for Brown's game day every week. You guys, I would imagine you like to sleep in on Sunday before you go start your day with the Browns. Maybe you're out tailgating. So maybe you want to watch, but at the same time, like I, I just, I don't know. The schedule stinks. Those games aren't for us. Um, I just don't get a kick out of the, the the idea that my team's playing internationally. I don't know what the point is. Like if those, I understand they're trying to make it at a better prime time for those cities. They should be catering to us. This is our sport. All right. You don't see. Manchester United coming over to the U.S. to play soccer games over here. And then they're broadcasting for uh, for our time zones rather than the time zones over there, okay? Like, uh, soccer is apparently the biggest sport in the world, and we have our own league, and they say, yeah, that's fine. Guess what? If Europe doesn't want to in, in, in inherit football, they tried once. It failed. I remember back when the, in the days where Madden had the European League teams on there. They didn't want it. it. It didn't work out over there. Okay, great. The NFL just took it upon themselves to say, "Hey, let's just let's just purposely put games over in in uh, in London every year, and let's go international for a, a, an entire 17 game schedule of international games each and every single year." I guess it is the main is the the ultimate goal, right? Well, that's that's awesome. Just just wonderful for all those people. This is our sport. This is America. We care about football. The time should be suited for us, the fans of the teams that we want to watch. Now I have to give up a Friday night to pay attention to the Browns and watch that game. I don't know if maybe I'm being salty because I'll never get a chance to go to those games, even as a credential media member, unless my uh, somehow I find a company that's going to pay for it. But, like, I'm not going to end up in Brazil ever. I'll never be there to cover that game, most likely. So why am I sitting here getting excited about a game that I can't, A, ever go to, and B, isn't really catering to me as the NFL fan. I get that Brazil is a little bit better because, at least for Brazil, at least for Brazil, you're on the same side of the globe where you don't have to worry about time changes and all these different things. It's not going to be quite as vast as when they go to London, right? So that's helpful. 
It would be Friday night. It's a little bit more simple and, and mapped out for our schedules. But the same way that I talked about how all-star games aren't for the common fan anymore and that we should honestly just consider doing away with them, they won't because they still get X number millions of viewers. But, I mean, whatever. They're not for the common fan anymore because the common fan can't afford to go to those things. I remember the ticket prices when the all, the MLB All-Star game was here and the NBA All-Star game. They were astronomical. These international games are not for the common fan because the common fan wants to just sit down on their couch on a Sunday, get ready for a 1 o'clock kickoff, or be tailgating ahead of a 1 o'clock kickoff and spend time with their friends and family and, and drink heavily and get something going on the grill and sit down and watch football on Sunday and, and waste the day away. They don't want to be giving up a Friday night watching some other country be able to consume their team. And some some fans, like I have I have some friends who are fans of the Browns that they do they do like one game a year where they travel for an away game. I'm guessing a lot of those same people don't have the means to travel all the way to Brazil. It's not quite that easy. So that takes a game off the schedule that you might have been able to drive to and, and, and make a nice weekend trip out of with the boys. Am I wrong about this? I, I, this, I truly do not get excited about international games ever. Like, every time they announce the schedule, I'm like, okay, cool. The Jaguars are in London again. Great. I'm actually thankful that the Browns have only had to play one international game to this point. I kind of wanted it to be... Like, there's certain places that you want to, like, that there's the running joke of, like, keep this place a secret. Don't tell them. I kind of wanted the fact that the Browns were the, one of the only of, like, seven teams that hadn't played an inter- and only played one international game, and that game was in 2017. I kind of wanted to keep that a secret. Like, I didn't want people to know that the Browns hadn't played and only played one international game. Not that it matters. I'm sure the NFL knows these things and keeps track of these things. But I didn't want the I didn't want to spill the beans so the NFL would consider putting the Browns in the international game because I never I just don't want to see it I I don't care so I tried to keep it as quiet as long as I could but they were one of like seven or eight teams that's only played one international game to this point the Eagles are another one the Panthers are another one both those teams play international games the Vikings are another one those teams play international games so I guess the cat's out of the bag now. Browns have only had one, so so it's kind of their due. Them sucking as long as they did is honestly the reason why they probably didn't get any. So I guess if the if the exchange is that they're good and they got to play an international game more often now, I guess that's fine. But I just I really just wanted to avoid this at all costs. I don't get excited about the international games, but to you two one six four seven four double ninety two. You're gonna plan a big trip to Brazil. If this actually comes to fruition, like Peter King is projecting, that the Browns play the Eagles on September 6th, first week of the season, Friday night. Let me know your thoughts on the subject. We will come back to Peter King. Because all due respect to him, he's very, very wrong about another thing he talked about on Afternoon Drive, which we will get to coming up. When we return from the break, though, here momentarily, I am going to connect with our good friend, colleague of ours here at the station, who from a distance is a diehard Guardians fan in the great city of Detroit. Matt, Matt Derry is going to join us on the show. We're going to talk to him about the Guardians. 
what he's expecting from spring training, what he's expecting from Stephen Vogt. All those good things are in store for you when we get back on 92 through the fan. Johnny and Parmo try to squeeze you in before we get to the, the, the to the guest, all right? So stay on the line. I'll try to squeeze you in before we get to Matt. But Matt Derry is going to join us next. It's Spencer German with you here on 92.3. The fan filling in for Jonathan tonight on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. And here to talk about that plus the start of spring training or, and much, much more as we get ready for the Guardian season is Matt Derry. He, of course, is the host of the Locked on Lions podcast, but also the Guardians Bros podcast where they talk about the Cleveland Guardians. He loves his Cleveland Guardians. You'll hear him actually filling in on this station tomorrow night for Jonathan Peterlin. Matt, what's going on, my man? Hey, what's going on, Spence? How you been, brother? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. Um, Baseball season, right around the corner. Yeah, it's it should be exciting times, but I understand where, I, I don't know, like, we say this every year, people just don't care about baseball right now, and the team was, like, less active than usual, so there's no buzz. I feel like this year, though, when I say that, it feels real, real because the frustration level seems like it's reached it's it's like an all time low or an all time high, I guess, just because of the off season that they had and not really making any moves. Yeah, you know, at this time last year we were basking in the glow, and my brother and I and the Jerry Brothers Guardians cast were talking about it, like, all right, I mean, this team's going to take the next step. You know, a young team in 2022 that wins the division, and you're thinking, all right, in 2023. How about an ALCS berth? You know, taking the next step. You got all these young guys, Jimenez and Oscar Gonzalez and Will Brennan and, you know, uh, Bo Naylor, you know, we were hoping would be up earlier than he was last year and building off of what happened in 22. And, and to be honest, Spencer, last year was an unmitigated disaster. It was horrible. Yeah. yeah. And then your, your manager retires. And I can get a sense in watching the club last year that I think Tito, and I mentioned this on the pod today, I think Tito had I-71 eyes. I think he was in about May or June. I'm not saying he checked out, but you could tell he wasn't managing with the same fervor. The guys weren't running, weren't taking the extra bases. It wasn't the aggressive team we saw two years ago. And I think they've reset a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell fans that they need to get on board with the fact that the only signing they really made this this you know off season outside of the Barlow trade and then you know signing him was Austin Hedges, who's a backup catcher at best. Uh, it, I'm not going to tell fans to get excited, but what I will say is I'm intrigued by the young guys. I'm intrigued by the competition at center in center field, right field, and shortstop. I think Manzardo is going to be good, and I think he has to play. And I think with a new, younger voice in that clubhouse, in Stephen Vogt, I, I think this team can win the division. Um, no one's sitting here. Uh, Minnesota's good. The Tigers are going to be good. I don't, I'm not. I think the White Sox are a, are a joke. And I think the Royals are still a little bit away, ways away, but better than they were a year ago. But why can't they win the division? Then you get in October and you get into that tournament, anything can happen. Chris Antonetti talked last week about the TV deal, and he said it wasn't the only reason they didn't make moves. He sort of cited some of the stuff that you just mentioned, like the, the younger roster and not wanting to take at-bats away from those guys. I guess like, I'd buy into that if we hadn't heard the same thing like the last two years in a row of or now going on three years where it's like, well, we got a lot of young guys. We want to kind of see where things fit. Like by now, it feels like the time where you should sort of have a better understanding of who those young guys are that are going to be here longer term. 
and it 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 like and and they actually have to prioritize those guys. Like the 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 amount of time it took to get Bo Naylor up here because they just couldn't let go of the idea that Mike Zanino wasn't going to work out was was also sort of bizarre. So it just seems like there's something off with the messaging. Am I wrong about that? No, no, you're not. But I think the, this Spencer last year, right? They wanted to build off of 2022, so they went the veteran route. They went with, all right, we're going to keep Ahmed Rosario at short, even though yours truly and a few others were like, get this guy out of here. I know he had a nice season in, in 2022, but you can upgrade and do better at short. Play one of the kids that is going to give you so much more range and defense at that spot. They elected to go, no, nope, we're riding with Ahmed again because he was good enough to help us win the division the year before. You rode with, with Oscar Gonzalez, even though it was a fluky 2022, and all the projections and all the metrics went out the window. Uh, then you signed Zanino. Then you signed Josh Bell because you were going for it again. Now I think they did the right thing in not spending money on bad free agents. They got out from underneath the Bell contract, although you know they're kind of paying Gene Segura, who's not even in baseball, and all these things that they're doing. But you got to see what these kids can do. How long, Spencer, are we waiting to hear about Tyler Freeman, Gabe Arias, uh, Brian Rocchio, Will Brennan? Now they got a, a, a Esteban Floreal from the Yankees, who Yankee fans were waiting three, four years yeah. to finally see. He's going to get at bats now. If Floreal is better than Straw in the spring, you're not going to have Tito saying, "I got to play my veteran." I think Vote's going to go. Oh, Floreal is better. He had who's playing. You got to play the kids and play the guys that 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 have good springs and look like they can swing the bat. Maybe the defense won't be as good in center field, but. We got to find out about some of these guys. Will Brennan, definitely a sophomore kind of slump last year after a really good 22. So some of these guys I think are going to bounce back. And the name to to, to watch is this De Los Santos kid because mm. I just don't know what there's something in that bat, and they think they've he has to be on the roster or else he goes back to Arizona and he's 20. They think they've got something there. The question is where do you play him? But he's, to me, an upgrade over some of the garbage they trotted out last year. Matt Derry joining us here on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Uh, last thing, sort of on the transition from last year to this year, do you think at all that the, the I guess, PTSD, if you will, of the Mike Zanino trade and the Josh Bell, uh, not trade, but the, the signing and the Josh Bell signing last year, do you think the fact that those two deals didn't pan out also made them a little bit trigger shy this offseason? A little bit, and I also think, you know, again, it's never been their philosophy. Any time they've spent it, other than maybe like Edwin Encarnacion yeah. and, I mean, you know, you go back to Michael Bourne, Nick Swisher, Gavin Floyd, um, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, you know, Hanley Ramirez, Carlos Gonzalez, last year with Bell and Zanino. I mean, Bell and Zanino weren't just, you know, below league average. They were brutal. And I know Bell went back to the National League in the Marlins and he did well, but he didn't belong. He, he didn't fit here. And he didn't, he didn't, you know, you, you, you signed him to, to bring a power bat over and not, neither of those two guys could hit the ball over the fence. Zanino couldn't catch the ball either. As a catcher, <laughs> Spencer, you got to catch the baseball. So I think now they're looking up going, we've got to find out about these young kids because what if, a few of them pop. I mean, Brian Rocchio is a top 15 prospect, according to Keith Law, who knows just about everything about the minor league systems of every team. Um, De Los Santos is 20 and has an intriguing bat. 
Manzardo, you traded Aaron Savali to go get this guy. He's a top three Rays prospect. Let's see him. Because if any of those guys pop and look good, then all of a sudden you go, all right, with this staff, with Bieber and McKenzie and, and Bybee and Williams and Allen, and you know the bullpen can't be any worse than it was a year ago. <laughs> no. Right? Maybe we got something here. You mentioned Kyle Manzardo twice now. How long do you think it's going to take him to get to the majors? Because the expectation, I think, is he's going to start in AAA. I think that'd be a mistake. I mean, mm. all right, so if you if you send him down, who's who's DHing? You know, like, is this De Los Santos kid, are you going to keep him over Manzardo, who's had you know, a lot more experience at the minor league level than, than this Davis and De Los Santos? I, to me, if Manzardo's swinging the bat like he did in, in, in the uh, Arizona Fall League in, in the offseason, and he's hitting home runs in the spring, I mean, let him and Josh Naylor split first base in DH, and you go with it. I mean, Kyle Manzardo's highly regarded, whereas yeah. who, who's going to play ahead of him? Uh, you know, there there are a lot of options. There are a lot of, you know, but guys like this Florial kid, I mean, not a kid, he's 26, he's out of options. So he, he can't go to the minors. So if he doesn't make the team, then then you basically traded Cody Morris for nothing. I think he's going to play. Um, what about Straw? What about Loriano? Brennan? <laughs> There's so many of these guys that you just don't know. Loriano, I think we know, is a fourth or fifth outfielder. But yeah, yeah. right-handed bat against left-handed pitching, which, you know, stymied the, the Guardians last year. You probably need a veteran out there. You can't play all kids, so we'll see. He's the host of the Dairy Bros Guardians cast. You can hear him here. I botched the name of that earlier, by the way, so I want to make sure I You're got it fine. right this time around. Everybody uh, does. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit of a mouthful, Matt. I'm, not, I'm going to be honest. I know. Uh, <laughs> you can catch him here on 92 Through the Fan tomorrow night, filling in for Jonathan on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. You mentioned Miles Straw a little bit earlier as well. Um, and I think you're right. Like, There's no Terry Francona here to... Say, oh, I got to play the veteran guy, or I don't know if Matt, if Miles Straw just had blackmail on Tito, so we had to keep putting him out there, but that that won't work with Stephen Vogt. So, uh, how long of a leash do you think he gets out at center field? I mean, here's the thing. I mean, they said he bulked up this offseason, he worked hard to build up his body a little bit. I mean, he was an automatic out last year. Whether he yeah. and he's a, he's a goal, he's a Gold Glove center fielder and seems like a good teammate. And obviously, he can run and go get it, but you cannot, especially on a day, let's say, where Bo Naylor is taking a day off and can't catch every day. You cannot have two automatic outs again at the bottom of the order with Hedges and Straw. You just can't. And you've got to upgrade that spot. And Miles has been given. A lot of opportunities, and and the bat just isn't there. So I, I see him as a defensive replacement. I see him as a pinch runner. I see him getting a few starts against some lefties, maybe uh, tough lefties during the week. But to me, I I, I want to if let's say let's say Arias, Rocchio, and Brennan are your guys that have good springs. Arias is going to have to be in right. Rocchio is going to have to be at short, and Brennan's going to have to be in center. Like that, like you said. Uh, you know, last year Tito and, and I don't I don't mean to be just just kicking him as he as he <laughs> is out the door here because Tito's a Hall of Famer, but I do think he overplayed yeah. some of the vets last year. I mean, this team was in contention because the division was so bad, but it wasn't a contending team. But Straw every day, Spencer, like, come on. So that's the hope is that you're throwing enough against the wall with Florial, whom the Yankees I don't think handled very well in the minor leagues. 
and and Brennan with a bounce back, or maybe Arias finally hits, but then what if Rokio hits them and you have to keep both, then that's a better problem to have than if they all look bad in the spring and then then you're forced to play straw again. That stubbornness from Tito was one of the things that obviously over the years caught the ire of Guardians fans. And it was, you know, it usually it worked, so you, you kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. Like you said, he's a Hall of Fame manager. He's one of the best to ever do it. With that in mind, though, because you're, 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 you know, as much as Tito could rub people the wrong way with certain decisions at times, I think he generally had a, a, a resounding respect from, from the fan base. You get a first-year manager, Stephen Vogt, I, I think the fact that he's a catcher brings something to the table here, and, and he's going to have a nice like vision for the game and the way he wants to do things. But how patient do you think fans will be with Vogt, knowing what was before? It's, it's hard to follow like the guy, and knowing that it's his first year, like will they kind of keep that in perspective, you think? Guardians fans? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, especially after the Browns made the playoffs and the Cavs look like they might be making a deep run. It's, it, it, you know, the, the bar is going to be raised. I, I think in why, I don't have any idea what kind of manager this guy's going to be. Certainly, I think a, a, a younger voice, somebody new, uh, fresh, well-respected around the league, I think is going to be cool. Um, I don't know. Are they going to be out and running again? Are we going to see an aggressive team? Is Stephen Vogt uh, on opening day when Shane Bieber hits 85 pitches automatically going to pull him, or is he going to say, "Look, this is my horse, and and I feel, and if he told me he's all right, I'm going to keep him out there." Uh, what I like that Vogt has said a couple of times already is, "I'm going to lean on Carl Willis because he's been around." I mean, Carl Willis is in his 70s, and, and Vogt's only 39. So I'll be interested. In, I, I, the other thing too that Tito did so well that that, that fans just didn't realize is. Spencer, when they lost four, five, six games in a row, they never, they still played yeah. hard. They still played hard. They still were together. It was a, it was a tight group. And, and Tito had sort of some unwritten rules, and guys followed and were, were professional. Will there be some veterans that kind of walk over this guy a little bit if they don't feel like, you know, the, he's maybe he's too young? We'll have to see about that. I hope not, because um, I think this team is built properly, but that'll be interesting to see how. How, you know, a losing streak is handled by a guy like Vote, whereas Tito, you knew the guys always seemed to have confidence. He always had their back. I think we're all fascinated to see what happens with Shane Bieber. Uh, the writing's obviously on the wall that he gets traded at some point this season, but how long do you think he's with the team? Because if he gets off to a hot start, you know, uh, April, May, I don't know that they necessarily wait till the deadline to deal him, especially knowing he got injured last year in the summer. Yeah, I mean, this is that's going to be the question. I mean, what what if the curveball's back, the velocity's up a little bit, it's a contract year for him, and he shows out? You know, then if the team is contending for the division, how do you how do you deal him at the deadline? Maybe he gets helps you get into the playoffs, and then you just he walks after the year. I mean, normally, ninety nine times out of a hundred with the you know the Chernetti uh, uh, duo here with uh, you know. Chris and, 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 and Mike, they always make that trade. Clevenger, gone. Bauer, gone. Kluber, gone. They always made the trade. What if this one time they, they held on to their ace and he helped them, pitch them into the playoffs, forcing them to, yeah, we'll get a draft pick for them, but you're competing. So also, what, what's the market going to look like? Obviously, yeah. it'll look better than it does now if you're trying to trade him now, but a healthy Bieber, a healthy McKenzie, Biber, Bybee, Williams, and Allen, you know, some other guys like Joey Cantillo, Xavier Curry coming, you know, there's some depth there, which is good. But if, if they stink and still can't hit, 
and yet the pitching's kind of keeping them afloat, they're a little below 500, and then, yeah, Bieber's a goner. Last thing for me, Guardians win the division if? I mean, if they can score more runs than last year, if if we see some power in this lineup finally, um, and if the starting rotation stays healthy. That's a lot, that's a lot of ifs. It is, but I think that, <laughs> like, you look at Minnesota and you go, all right, the Twins have some good young position players. I still don't trust their rotation. Uh, Detroit is coming. Uh, they're going to be better, and they continue to get better. But, again, I think the Guardians' rotation is better than them than, than theirs. Yeah. And they didn't exactly spend you know, – their big free agent signing was Mark Canna, and Tiger fans are wondering, Chris Illich, the owner, when's he going to spend? So – you know, the, all of that is in, in in play. Like I said, the White Sox are an embarrassment, and, and the uh, you know the Royals, while the Bobby Witt signing was cool, and they they made some decent other signings, but I don't see a reason why this team can't win this division again. He's Matt Derry, ha- uh, host of the Derry Bros Guardians cast. You can hear him tomorrow night. Filling in for Jonathan Peterlin on this very show. Can you give us a tease? Anything you're going to talk about tomorrow? Should I? Should I, I mentioned to Andy Roth, the program director. Should Should I just do five hours of baseball? How will that How will that play? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that'll go. Listen, oh, I will say. God. I will say. We get a lot of callers who are like, oh, it's the middle of the offseason. You're talking about the Browns. Why don't you talk about the Guardians and the Cavs? And then when I talk about the Guardians, nobody calls in. I know. I'm like, what the well, hell's going on? I, I do have a couple of Guardians topics Good. tomorrow. We got. I got to get into... You know, there's a there's a Donovan Mitchell issue that I have not brought up that I think everybody nationally hasn't touched either, which I want to talk about tomorrow. And I got a couple of free agents. The Browns have got they got work to do to obviously yeah. get under the cap, but there's a couple of guys I think could join the Jim Schwartz defense. I know everybody's talking about the offense and the quarterback, which is obviously popular, but it's a couple of free agent defenders I think can could join this defense and Jim Schwartz and be very lethal. So mm. all, all of that tomorrow night. Yes. I like the sound of that. You guys can hear it all, right, all tomorrow between 7 and midnight. Matt Derry again. Thank you, my man. Appreciate you as always. All right, Spence. Great talking to you, bud. Yeah, you too. Take it easy. Again, Matt Derry. Follow him on X at Derry Speaks. Always appreciate his time. Let's take a break. We'll react to some of his thoughts on the Guardians next. Also coming up, all due respect to a media legend, but Peter King, you're very wrong about this one thing. Let's take a break. We'll talk about all that coming your way, uh, coming up in the next couple segments here on 92 to the Fan. Speaking of the uh, potential dome here in Cleveland, I mean, Peter King has never been more wrong in his life. And that's all due respect to Peter King because he's one of the best in the business. We'll get to that at 9 coming up here in about 15 minutes. I am going to go to the phones here. I did want to say, because I talked about it with Matt, he joked about doing five hours of Guardians tomorrow, and I, you know, I joked that we get a lot of people who call in and say, "Well, if you're gonna do, if you're talking about the Browns in the middle of the offseason, why don't you talk more Cavs and Guardians?" And then we talk more Cavs and Guardians, and then we sit and wait for you guys to actually chime in on the Guardians. So, the it, and then, but the other part of this too is that it seems like then the only chiming in that I get, at least on so on the social media, and, and this might just be me. I hope that other people at the station who have a bigger following than I do get more positive interactions via social media about the Guardians when they talk about the Guardians. But at least on my end, a lot of the tweets I get when I talk Guardians are just people still complaining years later about the name change. That's it. That's all I get. So excuse me for sometimes 
not maybe talking more Guardians when I don't know how the callers are going to be, if you guys are actually going to want to talk about it, or and uh, to add into the fact that all my mentions on social media end up just being a bloodbath of the G word is the worst thing ever and why did we change our name? I just hate dealing with that garbage. Luckily, we have Sam who wants to jump in and talk about Stephen Vogt. That is a topic that very much I want to uh, hear from him on. What's up, Sam? Uh, Two quick comments. You guys can't talk Browns 95% of the time and then say, okay, we're going to talk baseball for two minutes, and then when no one calls in, you can't say, well, no one calls in about baseball. Well, well, I'm giving you, Sam, I'm giving you the floor. I just did a whole 20-minute interview with Matt Derry about baseball, and now we got a whole other segment about baseball before we switch back to the Browns. So here's the thing about the the Vogue versus Francona, because I know the media loves Francona, and they think this is kind of a big loss. But here's my question. If if the Indians overachieve a little bit this year and win 86, 87 games because the division is crap again and they compete, so are we going to look – are we going to say that Vogue is doing a good job managing or is it really that Francona managed in a crappy division and really never won anything other than being able to win this division? What's your thought on that first? My thought on the fact that Francona just basically would, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? He just coasted off of winning a bad division. Is that what you're kind of saying? Well, I'm, I'm just saying what happens if what happens if they win 86 games this year and it's September and they're two out of the division, okay? Are we going to say, well, it's because the division stinks? You know, the division stinks of – this year, if Vogue does well, but what about the previous years when they competed, when the division wasn't bad, but Francona gets well, all the praise? I, well, first of all, I think Francona also gets a lot of praise because he also is a two-time World Series champion manager, and he did take the Guardians to that stage. So I don't think – I think he obviously proved that he was more than just winning a crappy division. Um, I think part of winning a crappy division was, as much as he did, also had to do with the fact that he was hamstrung sometimes by just the financial implications. Like he came from Boston where they used to spend money and now they don't so much. But then he came to Cleveland where the money wasn't really there. So I think he was always kind of making the most of the situation and getting the most out of those teams. And then he had a couple of really good years where they were one of the best teams in baseball and they came with just a little bit short. Um, but I also do think, to your point, I think the the playing in a bad division thing has been brought up every year, even when Frank Conan was here. Like, the last couple of years, that's all I heard. In 2022, when they made a run to the playoffs and they almost beat the Yankees or they were up on the Yankees in the series, it was all that season was, well, they're winning the division, but they don't have to apologize for it. The division's stinking. That's not their fault. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think if McKenzie and Bieber, you know, knock on wood, can stay healthy, I do think they will overachieve. I do think they need to make, get some bullshit help because I'm already hearing that Karen Check's shoulder is barking a little bit. You know, I just, you know, I don't know what to expect from the bullpen this year. I'm, you know, I'm hoping that, um, I can't think of his name, the big tall lefty that um, was hurt at the beginning of the year. But um, he looks like Andrew Miller. Who am I thinking of? What? Hedges? Sam Hedges. Sam Hedges, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, he struggled last year, but if I think he can get in more of a rotation this year and stay healthy, that will add to the bullpen. So, 
that's just my thought. And I will tell you about the name change. You know, I'm not for it. But when you say that Francona took them to the World Series, he took the Indians to the World Series. The Guardians were not in the World Series. I just meant that he took the franchise to the World Series. Okay, fair enough. I didn't mean it like a literal sense. But thank you for the call, Sam. Um, No, listen, I... You bring up the bullpen. Bullpens, I think, are always – every year it's a different story. I say the same thing about NFL defenses. NFL defenses and baseball bullpens, you just never know what you're going to get year to year. It, it, I can't bank on the Browns' defense being immensely elite, elite next year because it might change. I, I can't bank on the Guardians' bullpen being amazing this year or any year because you just don't know. Year to year, it's so different, which is why when teams have good bullpens – they tend to invest at the trade at the trade deadline and adding to it or adding pieces to sort of make themselves better because they know if they make the playoffs, that bullpen can get you pretty far. But yes, I think a lot of this season hinges on similar to 2022. If their starting rotation is good, and I'm kind of leaving Shane Bieber out of it because I think he's going to be traded at some point, but if he at least gets you some wins while he's here and you get McKenzie, Williams, Bybee, and Allen all playing really well and pitching consistently then, yeah, I think this team can certainly do some things when the division makes a noise in the playoffs because pitching matters immensely in the postseason. But the other thing that matters in the postseason is hitting for power, and that's the other big question mark with this team, as Matt brought up. Like Kyle Manzardo starting in AAA, that seems absolutely inexcusable. That's a guy that you traded for, and you should see him get some at-bats in the major league level and see what he can do pretty early on. He also brought up Estevan Florial. Like, that's another guy. Got to get him at bats this spring to kind of see what you have there. And those weren't the only names he brought up in terms of guys that can maybe DH or do something for you. Um, De Los Santos is another one. Like, that's another guy who they got to see what they have there and if he can maybe be a power bat for you. But they need somebody to emerge on that, on that front because Josh Bell didn't work out last year to kind of get a sense of, all right, these are our cornerstone players moving forward. These are the guys that we're going to tap into in certain things, and we're going to we're going to get this thing going in the right direction. They need better power hitters. They need the offense to be there, but if their pitch, but their pitching is going to carry this workload. And if they can get a good good start from those guys, then yeah, I think they have a really good shot at winning the division. Two one six four seven four double nine two. If you want to get in on the Guardians talk at all, when we get back, I do want to play some some more audio from Peter King's stop on afternoon drive because. Peter King is usually right about a lot of things. He's a great reporter and thorough, but he's 100% wrong about one thing. We'll talk about that coming up. I'll get to your calls, your te- your uh, tweets, all of it. That's what's coming up next here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Spencer Jim with you on the fan.